0: music friends fun and fandom join tom and steve as we hang out in the digital blunderground stop what you're doing we won't ruin get ready to relax and join us in the digital blunderground
1: Hanging out in the digital blunderground. My name is Tom, and I got my wingman, Steve. Hey, how you doing, everybody? Ooh, we are hanging out in the digital blunderground today. And when we're hanging out in the digital blunderground, we pretty much do what we want to do. And that today means that we're doing a listen and react video.
2: Yeah, a guy named uh, Roger Scruton. Rock- talks about uh, how modern culture is degenerating
1: yeah roger Scruton. i kind of came across roger Scruton uh uh, fairly recently i guess it was within the past year uh and i think it was probably the youtube algorithm that introduced me i I was already somewhat familiar with him but i never actually sat down and listened to him and um i think it was uh the youtube algorithm that kind of brought some of his videos out and i listened to uh to him uh in some of his speeches and i was just Blown away, I, mean, I was, really was. we we have so many wonderful thinkers out there uh, that uh, unfortunately are leaving us. Uh, I believe that uh, Richard Scruton died earlier this year, hmm. and uh, so uh, we'll never see uh, we'll never see his like again. Uh, he, he was a pretty special guy, uh, but uh, uh, I think he's a, a former leftist who kind of had a bit of an intellectual awakening, and uh, he uh, and talks a. Uh, Talks a lot about conservatism and uh, and also Christianity, uh, but uh, this is great. I, I did I marked this video. I uh, was never sure I'd actually have an opportunity to actually speak about it, uh, and uh, pretty great that we'll be able to do this.
2: All right. Yeah, we'll go ahead and we'll get started on the little first part of it.
1: All right. This is Roger Scruton at uh, I believe this conference. I believe it's a, a renovation conference, uh, and he is uh, is having a discussion how modern culture is degenerating. And I think one of the things that
3: that for me is really striking about a lot of modern culture is how incredibly degraded it is and how insensible so many people are mm. to the level of degradation.
0: You were talking earlier about you know, just what sort of things should we be concerned to preserve uh, and what should be our attitude to innovation and progress. Many people will say, uh, take the gay marriage issue, for instance, many of its defenders will say, look, this is the, uh, a progress it's the adaptation of an old institution, an old way of de- doing things to changes in society right. which would, it would be foolish to oppose. Uh, rather than oppose and create conflict, we should accommodate and adapt. And that, I think, is a, uh, not necessarily the right argument about this issue, but it is something which um, uh, uh, is tempting, that, that way of, uh, of arguing is very tempting. Uh, and there is a gr- big question for religious people as as to the extent to which they can adapt, you know. Um, If you haven't got any faith, you might think it's easy to adapt. But if you have a faith, one of the things that faith gives, gives to you is certainties. And you mm. can't adapt a certainty so, so that it fits a new circumstance, because then it ceases to be a certainty. And I think that these are issues which are, oh no, I've wrestled with this all, all my life, and a lot of other people have wrestled with it. You know, just what are you prepared to give up in order
2: Anyway, so that kind of sounded like something we recorded... Uh it's going to be on Christian Mind, I believe, over in uh, the, the the Blunderground Railroad.
1: Boy, yeah, and I tell you what, uh, absolutely, uh, probably more than just a little bit. I mean, really, uh, it screams out uh, what, uh, in, in Christian Mind, over on the Blunderground Railroad, we're currently going through A Christian Mind uh, by Blumers. And that is a, it, the book, boy, it really does talk about the unspoken assumptions and uh, of others, and also challenging others as a Christian, and bringing Christian truth into uh, the discussion as a challenge. So, uh, for example, here he's he's talking about uh, accommodation, and he's talking about a uh, uh, progress. Okay, so you know we we need to uh, we need to have progress in gay marriage. Well you know the unspoken assumption is that by expanding the institution that we are establishing progress uh and and that is not a fact that is an assumption
2: right yeah sure is um so i'm i want to have a little fun with this yeah first thing um any british accent it always lends credibility i don't care what you're talking about oh. you, you automatically like 50% of what you're saying is going to be right Oh, you know, so true. <laughs> it's a great accent, it's, the guys. It's so true. Something at the end he said though was, uh, he goes, "What are we willing to tolerate?" That stuck yeah. with me. That's that's what like wrapped it back around to the Christian mind. Really, for me, was yeah. As Christians, what, how far are we willing to go? How far are we willing to compromise? Where, where do we draw the line between secular and Christianity?
1: Yeah, he really. Uh, in the book, he talks about Christians who basically turn off their 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 Christian mind. They have a Christian mindset, mm-hmm. and so the Christian mindset effectively is in control and of a person's personal morality and their personal prayer life. So when you are when you're alone or you're praying. Or when you're considering your own behavior, you're a very spiritual person. You have spiritual presuppositions, but as soon as you are engaging the world, uh, then all of a sudden those kind of go out the window.
2: Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. And um, something else that uh, he talked about in the in the Christian mind was, you know, people basically turn pious. Uh, when they get out in, into the world, he compared it to that. Like uh, you know they, they kind of act like they're religious, but they don't go like all the way with it, um, so to speak. And um, you know me. like I've been called dogmatic just more than once, right? So I'm not saying that we always get this perfect, but we should be uncompromising um when it comes to giving advice when it comes to writing things down or when it comes to like sitting down thinking by ourselves and i think a lot of people don't even have that they're they're scared to even do that because none of us get any of these these behaviors perfect these actions perfect mm. but if we're thinking about it i mean we know where the standard is and then, yeah, he talked about the the presuppositions. I mean, he talked about the the objective truth. And you know, a lot of people don't have objective truth. If you don't have Christianity, you have absolutely no first principle whatsoever. It, it or wavers from day to day, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I, again, we're not going to get everything perfect, but I see so many people in society um, compromising at such a crazy level. Like, just like at the end there, when he said, you know. What are we willing to accept? It gets further and further and further. what we're willing to accept because we're becoming desensitized.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, is that is that people, people don't want uh, people want to be relevant. okay, And a lot of this is the church wanting a sense of relevancy in the world. They want to be relevant. Uh, and, and as the culture moves further away, All right. Because you got to make a choice. All right. You can always uh, there's an old expression uh, that talks about conservatism and liberalism. And it says that, uh, you know, your modern conservatism is just liberalism, except it's in the shadow. You know, it's in it's in the shadow (laughs) of liberalism. You know, it's never never side by side. But if liberalism moves left, then the conservatives have to move left as well because they have to stay in the shadow of of liberalism. So
2: don't. Yeah, we don't. And that's where people call me dogmatic because we don't.
1: Well, no, we we don't. But what I, I think what what really hurts people when they when they they confront this issue is that there ends up being a visible disconnect between the life of the church and the life of uh, the world, or what Blomiers would call the establishment. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, marriage is a really great example. Scruton kind of picks it. Uh, yeah, he does. He kind of picks it uh, kind of out of thin air, but it's actually a really good example because. You see previously say go back into this is what Aaron Wren would call the positive and the neutral and the negative world and if you listen to our podcast you listen to me long enough you'll hear me mention Aaron Wren and his framework because I think it's pretty accurate and it goes a long way towards explaining what we see today in the world Uh, but in a positive world. Basically, a Christian, you, by being a Christian, is a good thing. And so uh, being a Christian and being involved in Christian-themed and, and within Christianity is considered to be a net positive. So being in a church and having your pastor pray over you and your bride and having a very uh, a spiritual Bible-based wedding would be appropriate and wanted even if you were an unbeliever. Uh, and in the neutral world, it, it doesn't matter one way or the other. So uh, you might have a, a tr- you might have a, For example, one on s- Friday, you might have a, a wedding where someone's getting married um, by the justice of the peace, and the next day, someone's with a Christian priest, and the next day, it's some, it's a wood priest or something. Uh, like it, it doesn't really matter. It's neutral. So being a Christian isn't a net negative. It's not a net positive. Now in the negative world. That is where being a Christian ends up being a a negative, okay? It's a negative for you from the moment you get up. So you try to do anything, it's negative. And this is where in the marriage debate you see now, uh, in the marriage debate, so many people uh, out there in Blunderville and in social media and that whole landscape, they're trying to fight for the definition of marriage. And it, it is not... It, it, you, conservatives can't play this game, okay? So like liberals, No, we can't. Yeah, and, and it really has to... And this is such a larger issue. It, this is why Elon Musk is enemy number one. You see, because liberals... Okay, so liberals can come out and say something like, sex work is work. They can say it over again and over again and over again, and eventually it just becomes true based on the fact that it just gets out there and it's, you can't get
2: rid of it. It turns into a societal narrative. Yeah, it turns into a societal because narrative. Because people want it's like they push everything that people like deep down really want all which is which is sin like that's just our nature mm-hmm. and so if they just say it enough times well the people that have been wanting to do it which is everybody yeah they just go eh whatever because they don't have an objective truth and they're like okay these people in power are saying it's okay essentially so i'm going to do that Yeah. And I think that's where it takes hold. So,
1: yeah. I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it too. George Gilder, and I've mentioned him before, is uh, he has some thoughts on this and it's pretty fascinating. So, why is it when you watch TV or you see something in popular culture, why we always see, you know, base, we always see, you know, so much sex and violence and all this? Mm. So, according to Gilder, it's because everyone's. Everyone's bottom emotions, okay, the negative emotions, the 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 um, uh, everyone's concept of 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 getting in the mud is the same. Yeah. But everyone's idea of virtue, okay, is is very different.
2: Wow, that's that's profound. So we meet on common ground in like the worst place. Yeah, exactly.
1: So if you're looking, if you're needing to make a TV show and you need to make money and you need to make sure the eyes are glued to the screen. Going for virtue is the worst thing you can possibly yeah, worst do. worst possible thing. Because everyone's going to disagree with the virtue about, oh, well, this is this is a, a good virtue, but it's not the best virtue. I've never Every- heard it put that way. Yeah, everybody disagrees. That's a great
2: point. i yep. never heard it put that way. Yep.
1: That's one of the reasons why, uh, for example, if you're a Christian uh, and being inside of the uh, – in Christianity, Christianity a lot of times uh, isn't – is very iconoclastic. It's not – Conducive to modern popular culture, and that's the reason why is because to be engaged in popular culture is to be dragged down into the mud with the masses, whereas you know you're you're where, yeah, you know Christian is called to something higher,
2: right? Yeah, well, that's how he ended. It was let's let's see what we can tolerate. You know how much we can tolerate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Well, let's move on. See what else yes say.
3: We have this this concept in in uh, the Islamic tradition that w- w- what are called thawabat and mutaqayyarat, <laughs> the idea that there are f- uh, fixities that cannot be changed, can't be yeah. altered. One of the things that I see in the United States that's happening that's troubling to me is a lot of young Muslims are. Are, are abandoning those those thawabit, those things mm. that really, once you begin to abandon them, y- your religion unravels, yeah. like, like uh, pulling the thread on, yeah. on, on a woven garment.
0: Going back to the question of images, you know, which I did mention. We are suffering from a surfeit of images. There's no doubt about it in our society. Uh, and the prophet was absolutely right about this. The, the, the image of the human face and the human form captures your attention, wherever it is, yes. and on a billboard or whatever. Uh, and if it's a sexually attractive one, it's, it captures your attention in another way. Um, but this use of the human uh, image to distract us from, from the, uh, the serious business of living is one of the things that we're having to deal with. Right. Uh, and um, I, I, one, one thing to be said in praise of the Western artistic tradition uh, as it, in its great time, moments of the medieval and renaissance painters is that it didn't just use the image as a distracting thing, it was a, fo- a way of focusing your attention on divine things.
3: Right. The icon um, tradition. Yeah,
0: and that, that sort of saves the image as it were, lifts it out of this world mm-hmm. into the into the place where it belongs. Uh, um And I think we, we're now, It's, again, it's something that is so difficult to talk about because our whole culture is based on the proliferation of images, uh, meaningless images designed to titillate appetites. Yeah. Um, Didn't you just talk about
2: that? Uh, (laughs) The the, the billboard? (laughs) Uh, The billboard, yeah. Because he talks about, you know, the human image, if it was, you know, being used in in a sexual manner. You know, that's what draws people's attention. He, I mean, he did say that, you know, that's not how people used to um, use it. Uh, they used to use it to, to draw attention towards spiritual things.
1: Mm, no, that's exactly right. It's very interesting how he talks about the, the image. Uh, t- he says it tantalizes the senses. And, and that kind of brings you back again to Christian Mind. So if you're here, <laughs> man, you, yeah, man, if you're here, you should go to Christian Mind uh, and probably pick it up in uh, part number two, probably uh, part two, chapter one, and the first couple chapters of part two would be a good yep. spot. And if you're in Christian Mind, uh, you might have come here from that podcast. And if so, good for you, because uh, you're right where you need to be. Uh, so he talks about the senses, and again, in Christian Mind, it does talk about the secular mind is a mind that finds its borders within the five senses, okay? Everything mm-hmm. can be known. So if something is unknown, it's just, it hasn't been... That's it, the only place Yeah, finds its borders. Right, is that it hasn't been known, it hasn't been explored, it hasn't been discovered. Mm-hmm. So everything about the secular existence is involved within the five senses, and so... To distract. He says it's a distraction because it's based only on the five senses. And another part, too, uh, when they were uh, speaking uh, in The Christian Mind, where Blumer's was was talking, I was fascinated how he had that discussion about great literature. I don't know if you remember that. Um, Man...
2: I got stuck on other topics. I can't. Yeah, can't exactly remember where that was. He was
1: talking about great literature, and that's another. Uh, it's another uh, aspect of postmodernism. In the postmodern age, we don't have great art, and we also don't have great literature, and so that's important because. See, great literature always contrasts the moral with the immoral. All right, it always shows you. What is virtuous compared to what is not virtuous? so in any any piece of great literature, you can always see two things. You can see the virtue that is contrasted with the with the immoral, and that it's always the virtue that is recommended,
2: yeah, but don't you have to define great literature? And I know he I remember what you're talking about now in the book, yeah, and that's probably why I didn't remember it at first, Ah uh, yes, without a references is because. I I am dogmatic and I it's to me you say great literature you mm-hmm. know and I, and I don't mean you but the, the book whatever whoever you say something like that to me that, that's you know that's very subjective
1: well I think by great literature I I mean literature that has uh, uh stood the test of time and so it's it's been literature that's been uh it's been admired uh, over uh, many generations
2: but even that where do we 150 years See, mm-hmm. we're, we're about to get into a short clip argument. <laughs> uh-huh. So you know what? You know what was the beginning of the video though that that mm-hmm. caught my attention, and this is because I've spent two years of my life in Iraq. Okay. Okay. So this other guy, he's talking about Islam. Yes. Right. Right. And he said traditionally Muslims, they are very strict, and this is how the Sunni sect still is because you get your Sunni and you get your Shia. Yeah. Okay. They they hold to their traditions. Very, very strict. Okay, and right now, the Sunni Muslims today would put your most Bible-thumping evangelical Christian to shame. Mm. It'd make them look like an unbeliever as far as how far they go in their faith. Yeah. They are uncompromising. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think we should kill people. I do think that they pervert their religion, but the parts of it that they do get right— Boy, do they stick to that. And they don't care what it costs them. Yeah, And I got to tell you, as a Christian, I'm ashamed that we don't
1: have more people that do that. Well, it's very interesting. Uh, I Often, because I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And on LinkedIn, I, I do have a lot of uh, contacts and connections in the Muslim world. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it, what you say rings true. Because I will point out, I'll say, I was reading Christian Mind. And when I read it, uh, he talked about how the Christian mind would not, like for example, if you're in a meeting and someone has a good idea, it's a good idea. You say, "Hey, praise God for that great idea. That's a great idea." You know, the Christian has that presupposition: "Hey, that that that's a great idea. That's going to glorify God's people, mm-hmm. right? Even if you're in a room full of unbelievers." And when I read that, it made me think about LinkedIn because it is very stark: the business people from the Muslim world do not hesitate to invoke
2: you can tell exactly who they are huh uh, there's you
1: don't need you don't they're, need to ask they're questions. not they're not ashamed you don't need to ask questions right yeah questions the if if someone if someone puts on LinkedIn they put a success and they say they've had a success story then in the comments Praise Allah. Praise Allah. Right. Everybody comes in, and they right. keep going. And then the next guy comes in, and he wants to go, and it goes on. I don't share
2: their beliefs, but good for them that they are that convinced. Yeah. As far as the principle of holding to what you believe in religion, yeah. Good for them.
1: Well, they, they have the advantage of looking at the West, and I, I think I, I don't want to speak for them, and, and so this is um this is kind of what my opinion i guess it's not really an informed opinion you might be able to confirm or deny it but that muslims would look at the west and they see kind of this moral kind of degradation and they see what it's done to the religion, to to christian belief in the west and they they extrapolate that you know it, it modernizing they do try in the western it, way would do the same thing to islam
2: what it is they they try to hold the moral high ground okay that's what it is and how do you mean well because of because they use religion as their power dynamic. Interesting. Because all all authority over there, like as it should come from God here, like how we started out as a country, right? With like a, a Puritan evangelical society. Yes. Okay. That has stuck over there because they haven't become the I don't even know if we're first world, we're like we're like point zero five world. Like we're we're beyond that, right? Like right. we have a private citizen just launching rockets into outer space. It's no big deal.
1: Well, we actually it's interesting. I think in the current day. I think the US is in decline, but it's such a much smaller rate of decline than we, other countries. We are much smaller. We we are.
2: We are. And that's that's because of our moral decline. It's linked to a whole bunch of stuff, yeah, you know, that's true. We could get into a, a days long discussion about. Mm. But over there um, where there's poverty and they don't have all the distractions we do, they have their religion to stick to, and you got to remember Saddam Hussein yeah. was a Sunni Muslim. Right. And what we did over there is we put the Shia in power. Mm. Yeah, and that's and how you ended the up
1: more secular branch, is that right?
2: So the Shia are the liberals of Islam, if you will. Okay. But what did we end up with? Even the liberal, if you will, we ended up with Muqtada al-Sadr. Who is the leader of what we called back in 2006 when I was there, the Mahdi militia? Yeah. Let me tell you how nice they were. July 22nd, 2006, I was in the largest battle, fourth infantry division faced in the entire tour mm. against him and his people who refused to stop attacking us because we had a corrupt police chief who was like, yeah, don't worry about it. You ain't got to bring tanks in here no more. Just bring Humvees. Yeah. Like three days later, we get attacked in Humvees. Yeah. So that's how honorable they are. They are, yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, they all stick to their religion—Sunni, mm-hmm. Shia. Not Muslims are—they're a lot more faithful people, um, and and bold about their faith in, than we are. It's is really shameful as a Christian because I, we should be that way. You know, God, God in the flesh came here. He died on a cross for us, and we can't even. We're ashamed on our LinkedIn. What does he say in the Bible? If you're ashamed of of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed
1: uh, of
2: of you in front of my father.
1: Well, I I didn't say that people were ashamed on LinkedIn. I said that it became stark when I compared the two, when I compared one to the other. Yeah. That one, one, one comes off as a platitude, the other comes off as a serious religious belief. And one is done, it seems, as a matter of convenience, and the other is done as a matter of presupposition.
2: And how many don't put it out there? How often are you surprised when you meet another Christian? But you actually—I've met a lot of Christians. I've met Christians playing Call of Duty on Xbox. They would have never brought it up had they not seen my gamer tag, which is Romans ten thirteen. Yeah. And had they not heard me say something, because I'll try to witness to people sometimes. Call of Duty—I'm weird like that, right? <laughs> like I don't care.
1: <laughs> what do you do at the the end of a barrel, or right? It's you know, you, kind of a virtual barrel.
2: <laughs> don't get me wrong; like I do get people that are like what are you doing playing Call of Duty? And I'm like, well, you have the wrong idea of a Christian, my friend. You have been you have been taught by society that a Christian is just some sort of like pious, you know, I don't do anything wrong ever, perfect type of person. That's probably why you're turned off by Christianity. You know, we're, we're getting into a whole nother discussion here, but th- the, my, my point I was trying to make is, yeah, you know, there are a lot of Christians out there who won't even put it out there because they are afraid it may affect their business life in some way.
1: I, I think so. I think, it, 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 in terms of, I mean, it could be true. I mean, it's hard to quantify when people don't speak because if they don't speak, then you don't see them speaking. So it's difficult to say how. Okay, many. I'm
2: assuming, I guess.
1: Uh, no, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that's true in a number of cases. It's very interesting when he talks about uh, the the. Um, he says the thread gets unravelled, this is in the video. Yeah, he's talking about young Muslims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting it, yeah. to hear you talk about it. So in that area of the world, that the presupposition is a hard presupposition. It's baked into the culture itself. It is baked into in, into every family. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it's hard and fast.
2: We, it's we, man. We have something that you've you've said multiple times: rural versus urban environments.
0: Rural okay. versus urban. Sure. When you get
2: into Baghdad, okay, and you get into the surrounding communities, or if you get into the the bigger cities, right? Yep. Okay. What you're going to have, you're going to have more of that secular creeping in. Ah, uh, yes. You'll see women walk around in normal clothing. You know, like my second tour. Yeah. I was in Baghdad. My first tour, I was 30 miles south in a little town called uh, Musaib. Okay. Right yep. near iskandaria Yep. This is a, a rural city. It, you you literally would be killed as a woman for dressing like they did, thirty
1: miles north. Is that I mean, right? Thirty yeah. miles north. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you got to figure Iraq's not a big, not a huge country. No. Yeah. So so distances are you know relative.
1: Yeah. I heard. Uh. I had a guy tell me a story one time that he he was in more of an urban environment and I don't know the places or the names like you do uh, obviously but he he wanted he was interested in going to some of the more rural, rural villages uh-huh. and he so he No he, you're not. <laughs> yeah, right so basically he thought that he was and so he he kind of inquired about it and he ended up inquiring with uh with an officer about it and about how he might get go about you know visiting one of these places and the officer anyway told the person uh as it was related to me he told him he said son he said this the moment you step into one of these villages okay he says y- you don't get to say a word someone's gonna walk up to you and they're you're dead yeah said, there's no questions asked like you go step in and they're just gonna walk up and you're dead don't
2: get me wrong it's it's like anywhere else in the world you got bad people everywhere sure but as crazy as this sounds I'm, I'm gonna tell you the truth if you you know as not being a, if you're not a veteran of Iraq you you probably assume the opposite you are safer in Baghdad than you are in one of the rural farm communities yeah which is the opposite here in America right in America yeah you know no one's wanting to hang out in Detroit <laughs> But I don't think anybody anyone has a problem going to Dodge City, Kansas. Right. I've the been there, by the way. There is literally a truck stop and like four old historic do- homes. That's it.
1: Dodge City, man, right? Yeah, that's Dodge, right. City, Dodge Kansas. City, Kansas. Dodge City, Kansas. That's
2: right. By the way, that's where Toby Keith wrote, um, should have been a cowboy.
1: Oh, man. Hey. He
2: should, wrote it about a cowboy. A, he wrote it in a the bathroom. Kind of a pretty nice
1: museum there, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they do. Right? They do. I was trucking through, and I, I couldn't see it. But I uh, saw the signs. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it online. See, seen <laughs> um, it um, yeah, Toby Keith wrote uh, "Should Have Been a Cowboy" in Dodge City in a in a bathroom in the middle of the night. Every, everyone else was sleeping in the hotel room. Oh yeah. So he grabbed his guitar, went in the bathroom, and three chords later, he had a multi-platinum hit. The
1: jerk. There you go. <laughs> yeah, multi-platinum <laughs> hit. How many,
2: how many songs you know? Three chords and people make more money than I make in my lifetime. That's it. Must be nice. All right, let's go on with the video.
3: Things that fascinates me about um, people in the 19th century, when when photography first was introduced, uh, I, I I have not found I've yet to find any person from the 19th century smiling in yeah, a yeah, photograph. That's, that's right. uh, it really and, and when when I was in Rome and went to where they had all the statues of, all well, none of them were smiling, not mm. one of them, and and I thought a lot about that because even the Native Americans, those incredible pictures by Curtis of these great uh, Native mm. American people like Jerome and, yeah. and some of the great chiefs of the Lakota—they're all—all of them have this incredible presence. Yeah. And 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 what to me what it was saying was a moment is being frozen mm. of, of my being, yeah. and I want it to be a moment of seriousness that. Yeah. That, that I'm a serious person. And this idea of uh, Mark Van Doren wrote a beautiful essay, it was actually a commencement speech for a college, and he entitled it The Joy of Being Serious.
0: Mm. That's a lovely idea, yeah. But it, that's absolutely right. People used to pose for photographs not so as to be just the momentary, cheerful thing, but to present their whole life if they could. And that meant, sort of, as it were, standing to attention as a guard of yourself. Um, and um, all 19th century photographs for that reason have this incredible solemnity. Um, we've lost that. and of course the selfie is the kind of the the ultimate limit of this. you know you're just nothing really matters except this idiot smiling face in front of it. Right uh, uh, if you go to uh,
3: that was the word of the year a couple years ago. And-
2: okay, so um, man he says, First off, the guy took my line about selfies. He did, yeah.
1: It's a great point, isn't it? Yeah,
2: man. Ugh. See, you have the advantage of knowing this stuff's coming.
1: Well, no, I, 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 well, I mean, not in that way, but.
2: Oh, so, okay. I I won't ruin that point, I so guess. Make, we'll your, start no, the...
1: make your point. Hey, I, I can count the number of selfies I've taken in my lifetime on one hand. Seriously? Oh, absolutely.
2: Well, yesterday you took a really... Bad photo of me. Well, I did. Dude, okay. That wasn't a selfie,
1: though. It was just a photograph.
2: No, it was a me. You took a picture of me. Uh, you know, when you take a picture of somebody, you're supposed to like let them know so they can get ready. Oh,
1: and, really? And I, I'd say that went, you
2: know, for even back in the day. Like, Wait, hey, re- prepare to be serious. Oh, I think so. See? Oh, yeah,
1: right? To be serious. Yeah, so that's this is, true. This is
2: just normal decorum. You need to get with it. I don't know.
1: Oh, man. As I should have given you a chance to put a tie on. And you could you know, <laughs> you could have shaved.
2: <laughs> I drew, I lost my clip on long ago. Ah! All right, so yeah, he says old people, well, not old people. Yeah, like he's pe- talking about people 19th in older century? times. Yeah, 19th century. Th- yeah, like he says you won't see a smile in a photo. Right. Because they were trying to represent uh like th- there's the, they had a different level of decorum. Yeah, you know they they were trying to represent them their whole lives in in one image.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of it is is he says it's the joy he talks he says that phrase the joy of being serious.
2: Yeah, I didn't quite understand that.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, it's the joy. <laughs> no, it's the joy of being serious. Kind of like, you know people that dress up, uh, people that dress up just for the sake of dressing up. You know, like my great grandfather, my great grandfather used to wear uh, a suit and tie whenever he would go out to leave the house. And he was well past the age of, I think, 95. He lived to be 102, 103. And uh, I think he was past the age of 95 when he stopped doing that. Uh, but uh, even into his early 90s, he would be in a suit and tie if he were to go out. Like, if he needed to go and renew his driver's license, it would be a suit and tie. because What? Yeah, because he just he wanted to be seen as a serious person. And when you represent yourself as a serious person, that's when you're going to be treated like a serious person
2: everybody worries about their license photo why do they do they intend on getting pulled over a lot and like having people see it The the cops worried about your speed not like you know what yeah they they did have nice earrings in that day yeah, i'm gonna let them go
1: yeah, but I think uh, I, I don't know it? if it's not it's necessarily just about the picture being taken, but you know, if someone were to say to him, "Mr. Smith," if someone were called him "Mr. Smith," he wouldn't want to be called "Mr. Smith" walking into a place with ripped up, you know, ripped up sweatpants and 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 the, you know, a t-shirt. He wouldn't want. He he wouldn't think that that would be appropriate. You know, he would come in and he would say, "Well, the young lady is going to be referring to me as Mr. Smith because she's doing her part in in terms of of of." of honoring the person in front yeah. of her. Yeah. I got to do my part, and that's to to dress up nice and to be able to be presentable as, as a gentleman.
2: Yeah. All right. I'll 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 give you that, I guess. I mean, but, you know, like, news anchors.
1: You yeah. ever you ever seen the blooper reels?
2: There's oh. a lot
1: of them don't wear pants. Oh, yeah. I have seen especially the sports guys. The sports guys are the worst. Yeah, I happen to be watching
2: blooper reels the last couple of days. Just, yeah. Know.
1: Yeah, a lot of them don't. Yeah, it's true.
2: See, that's the stuff that th- comes up on my...
1: You know, oh, algorithm that comes <laughs> up on your algorithm. He
2: yeah, has the people not orange. wearing pants, apparently.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, go. let's
0: let's see what else is in this video, anyways. Good. Marginalized. You know, if you if you've been a, a person of Old-fashioned conservative views in a modern university, as I was, you are seriously marginalised. But you don't make a fuss about it and say, "Look, I'm a victim. Help me." You you just recognise that you've got views which expose you to a certain ridicule. Kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, belligerence. But um, it, it's people, when people think that they're marginalised in such a way that they themselves can do nothing to remedy right. the situation, that's when it's dangerous. Uh, but we live in a society which which has institutions through which all that is mediated. People can protest. People can say, look, um, uh, it's all very well for you, but what about me? Uh, and in the past, you, you know, people have, have always taken note of this and said, yeah, well, let, explain to me your problem. Let's see whether we can help. One of the things you've written about is uh, our-
2: That piece of it, all I heard was basically... There was no victim culture back then.
1: Yeah, he, he's kind of talking about, uh, I think, because he talks about being marginalized in university. So as a—and uh, a lot of that goes back to unspoken assumptions, all right? So one thing that we see in the Christian mind is he does a good job of pointing out that drawing out someone's unspoken assumptions is a skill, and you can train yourself to do it. All right, you you have to practice it, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. But it's not something that you're just born with. It doesn't come with salvation. You know, it's not like you, you, you know, you you get saved and then all of a sudden, like I'm saved, so I can just call everyone's unspoken assumptions. No, actually, it's <laughs> it's oftentimes the exact opposite. It creates a lot of confusion. That's right. why that's why Christians stay silent because they they know that there is something wrong. They know that there's something. That's not jiving, but they can't quite speak to what it is, and so anyhow, in university, he's talking about the fact that if you're one person and you can see, and 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 you're you have a hundred other people around you, yeah. and they all have unspoken assumptions. Well, you can't call out the uh, various assumptions of a hundred different people uh, simultaneously, so sometimes you just kind of gotta fortify yourself and kind of you know stick to it. Yeah, and I, what he's saying is. Being marginalized in society is very different because, in in a and again, this isn't uh, scrutin talking. This is me, uh, but I'll, I'll bring it back to rural and urban. Okay, or r- urban versus rural. In an urban environment, uh, I, well, I'll start with the rural environment. So, in a rural environment, you're going to have neighbors, and you have people that you know, your family. So, if you have a problem, you say, "Well, here's my problem." And and it could be anything. I mean, maybe someone says, "Uh, you know, well, my problem is I think I'm ugly." Well, you know, you're great. You know, you have a great aunt that lives uh, that lives over three towns away, and she, you know, is a, a she works at the beauty salon. So mm-hmm. you, know, you should go see your aunt, and then your aunt can help you. Yeah. Right. So there's there's a real solution to a real problem. Mm-hmm. So in an urban environment, you don't really have that connection. All right. You know, it's like someone it's kind of like talking about like the Second Amendment. If you go to Nebraska and you talk to someone about owning a rifle, they're going to say, yeah, what's the big deal? I hunt with my rifle. I need my rifle. Well, if you know you go to the middle of New York City and you say, hey, should people own rifles? They go, oh, no, it's a terrible thing, you know. So because they're afraid of their neighbors. Right. If my neighbor had a rifle, he'd just shoot up the whole building. If I lived in New York, I'd be afraid of my neighbors, too. All right. <laughs> so. Right. So um, in an urban environment, you don't really trust your neighbors. You don't even your own family you don't people are all over the country so if you have a if you have a, a, a you feel marginalized you have you have two things that you can do you can either you can either try to get sympathy by comparing your plight to someone else's plight, and that's usually done through social media. Yeah. You know, and th- this happens all the time in social media. This is the, I don't know if there's a name for it. If not, there probably should be because it happens all the time and it needs a name.
2: You'd be the one to come up with one, I'm sure.
1: Well, the thing is, is once you name a thing, you can mock a thing, and then it goes away. So that's probably why I haven't named it. But, you know, every time someone says something on social media, someone else has this um, uh, example from their own lives that negates it. You know, someone someone will say, well, you know... um, uh, they'll say, uh, you know, Trump supporters. Uh, Trump supporters are ignorant. Someone will go, well, you know, my great uncle Lester is a Trump supporter, and he has a PhD from Princeton. So I mean, obviously, you're full of of garbage, and you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's like one example. So, uh, but anyhow, uh, you can go on social media. And you can use these rhetorical devices to generate sympathy. Now, if you actually want help, you have to fall into the establishment. Okay, what the establishment is going to do for you. All right. So this is where churches used to have this function, and it helped communities to stay within the bounds of an objective truth. If you were if you were poor, you needed help. You went to the church. A church would help you, and then they would bring you in, and then they would give you uh, the underpinnings. That you would need to uh, to to get on with the world, all right? But if you're uh, if you're part of the welfare state and you're part of the welfare system, then you have to do what the welfare state dictates that you do. Uh, you know, and this is where people get on welfare, and then they um, they need to do certain things. You know, they need to apply to a certain number of jobs per month, or they they may not be able to earn a certain amount of money. So if they work part time, they have to manipulate things, and this is all done. This is a system that's put in place, and it is a system whether it's moral or immoral. I won't say, but what I will say is that it certainly benefits the one who created it. It benefits the welfare state itself, and it helps to perpetuate the welfare state. Yeah. So when when you have um, when marginalization and poverty are dealt with by the church, you end up with objective truth. When it's dealt with by the state, you end up with whatever benefits the state, whatever that looks like.
2: That's true. That's true. You know, you just breeze right over these points you make, and I don't know if you pull them out of algorithms you know from places you find them in I, I don't know where you come up with these things. But you just breeze over these like brilliant points and I go, huh, never thought of it that way. You said once you name a thing, you can mock it and then it will go away. <laughs> Who has ever thought of that before? Well, so, so I just actually thought about that for a second. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Mm, that's exactly right.
1: Yep, it's true. Very true. Where, where did you learn that? Um,
2: you had a lot of wasted talent in your previous career, just so you know. Oh, well, uh, thanks. No, I said wasted talent. I said wasted <laughs> time. <laughs> all right. Oh, no, no, all right. Bum. <laughs> all right, let's move on with this video.
3: The Importance of architecture and sacred hmm. space. And for me, one of the, the important things and aspects about a space to study in is that it be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, One one of the most stunning aspects of traditional Islamic civilization was the schools including the children's schools are now museums Mm -hmm. for people to go and literally uh, marvel at at their, their beauty and one of the hallmarks and I think Prince Charles talked about this in your country the ugliness of, of modern yes. architecture well, and...
0: We're living through this, something uh, I think it's um, a Czech writer, uh, I can't remember his name, now. Havlik,
3: Havlik? No,
0: no. Oh. It, um, talks about the uglification of the world. Right. Um, uh, it's a word comes from Alice in Wonderland, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but it's true that people now build without any consideration. For what, how the the building fits into its environment, what it does to the street, how it looks to the passerby it's purely to satisfy a client. You know, the client will wants rooms for 150 offices, so you build a, a hideous block in the middle of uh, of things, which. Eliminates the street, eliminates the public square, and uh, and um, is something that nobody wants to look at. nobody we can bear to look at, uh, uh, you know. And actually, I was very impressed by the the fact that, that muhammad atta who, uh, uh, who um, flew the uh, that uh, twa flight into the t- twin towers in um, 2001 he he did a thesis at the university of hamburg i think it was hamburg on um, uh, on architecture, uh, the, the, the theme of which is how to restore Aleppo, Halab, to, to its original condition. As a, as a proper Islamic town, you know, without the the um, mutilation inflicted upon it by these tower blocks, etc. Uh, so it was as though he was taking revenge on uh, an architectural tradi- uh, architectural practice which had been introduced into the Middle East by Le Corbusier with his plans for Algiers. You know, to wipe the whole thing away and put these motorways in the air on concrete blocks. It's amazing. Uh, and you know, because of the Arab inferiority complex. There was this huge mood to do this everywhere. We're going to have a modern city with wide uh, streets plowing through these beautiful little alleyways where people lived side by side. We, together. we, we have a hadith, the <laughs> uh, Prophet said that towards the latter
3: day. Okay. <laughs> Whoa.
2: <laughs> Whoa. Whoa.
1: Whoa. <laughs> uh. Seriously? Well, I, I think I'm not sure if he, if he praised him. He did talk about his uh, dissertation that he did. I guess it was a uh, an essay or a dissertation of some sort that he might have done in university. E-
2: essentially a dissertation, yes. Okay,
1: yeah, and he was talking about the ugliness in the city, how the I um, thought uh, uh, the buildings were were very ugly. I mean, I. I <sighs> I can see how that would make someone upset. Uh, modern architecture is ugly. I mean, it's 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 fantastically ugly. I mean, it's 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 ugly. It, modern. There, there, really is no gargoyles are expensive to throw on top of things. I don't know what to tell you, man.
2: Yeah, we got a bunch of tract homes everywhere. But when he when he's like, oh, people just build without consideration, sir. You been to Hillsborough, New Hampshire? You met our building inspector. You got you got to be three feet off of somebody's property. I mean, we're talking about building a shed. It take weeks to get a permit to do this. People don't build without consideration.
1: Well, in terms of uh, in terms of like a building inspector, I'm not sure he's really talking about it being a building inspector. Uh, think about, um, for example, uh, think about uh, the great cathedrals of the Middle Ages. <laughs> do we? They're, Everybody uh, do can have a castle.
2: Do you... I like castles. But I can't have one.
1: Well, do you remember uh, this happened a couple? Uh, was a year a couple of years ago. Uh, there was the uh, uh, all the uh, medieval castles over in Europe. They started to burn, and there were these random acts of arson, and it became yeah, yeah it became a real woke issue because you had some you had uh, fairly uh, people on the conservative side uh, over there were effectively saying hey, this looks like arson, like what is happening here? And then you had people who were saying it was very racist. I, I think the the insinuation was that these Muslim immigrants were coming into Europe, uh, they were crossing into Europe, and that they were overrunning these towns. And what they were doing, and because there's always this narrative of, uh, of whether uh, there's always this narrative that comes out of that area of the world about these Muslim, the kind of invaders, and then you know they they rape the white women and and then do these things, um, and uh, uh, they do this because they they want to intermix the races. Or,, um, there was also this discussion about uh, the, the cathedrals. They would set arson on these cathedrals and burn them down because they didn't want Europeans to have a connection to a Western past. They wanted European they want young Europeans to look out and to see, uh, modern architecture to see to see the the, the immigrant faces and the children and then not to have that connection to their past. Now this is what th- this is what people say about the situation. I'm not saying myself because I'm not an expert, so I don't know one way or the other. Uh, but uh, this is what some people from the region have said. Uh,
2: well, <clears throat> um, to the the first point you're making about the the arson stuff, it made me think about um, remember that Notre Dame
1: fire yes that's Uh, exactly right
2: that was a huge deal huge deal yeah i i don't know if that was arson or not i just remember it it happened i i I don't even think it was but uh to the muslims and destroying uh other people's religious places i mean is that really like a new thing (laughs) (laughs) right You know how many car bombs they've put outside of mosques for like the sunnis have done it to the shia the shia have done it to the sunni yep this is like a normal thing right to them is whatever not a big deal yeah but it goes back to the original thing i was talking about with how strict these people are and how much they adhere to their faith now they they take it a little far and this is where i say they they pervert what's in their actual scripture because if you talk to like a level-headed muslim that's not psychotic and we have the same thing christianity you know we have the westboro baptist church you know they think that you know Protesting soldiers' funerals are, is, is a good idea. Um, but if you talk to one of the level-headed Muslims over there, they're like, no, I think that's not what our scripture even says. Um, you know. But you have those people who are fanatical about their beliefs, and they are willing to take it to the extent that if anybody else believes different, you are then an enemy of not them, Allah, and so it's their job to eliminate you, and that's why you hear them say Allah Akbar when they do this stuff, mm. because if they're suiciding themselves or if they're blowing up a soldier or anybody that is not of the Islamic faith, they're doing it in their God's name. That's what you're
1: seeing. Well, yeah, no, the um, there was a, uh, it was really, you mentioned Notre Dame, and that's a great point because when when it burned uh, there was a, you know a lot of Frenchmen gathered there and when they gathered there they sang religious songs and they broke out in song for France uh, and so it really even though uh, religious belief in France has, has really declined and it's it's known as one of the the, 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 the it wasn't a lot of people worshiping there okay? But people still gathered and they still sang, and they still had these deep feelings of, of uh, patriotism uh, based on the building itself. There was actually a, 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 a movement to try to rebuild Notre Dame and uh, they, they wanted to rebuild it exactly so that they would still have that iconoclastic feel, but it fell apart. There was no there's not enough support. The state doesn't want it. I mean the state doesn't want the state doesn't gain anything by having all these iconoclastic churches everywhere.
2: I see I definitely see the the state point of view not that not that they're right. I mean I, I see it from I mean we, we tear down statues and stuff so why not just keep getting rid of history so I think they're wrong but I I can definitely see how that's a realistic thing mm. um, but cost doesn't cost come into that too like like how you know how efficient is it how how is is it worth rebuilding this? I mean, the reason it was important in the first place is because it was original, you know. I know we, we, yeah. we keep up with monuments here. Well, I know, mean, we do. I here, mean... The you know, Washington Monument, you was know, constantly under, you know, uh, not renovation. But, but they do fixes to stuff, you know. Same thing with the Statue of Liberty. You know, they stop letting people go up into the torch um, because it's it just structurally declining. So we try to keep things, um, you know, in good shape. To, to entirely rebuild something, doesn't it lose its significance, you know, as a historical place? I would think that that's, I'd like to think that's part of their motivation. It's not just the state continuing to destroy history, like we see here with statues.
1: Well, it's just very interesting how they don't see they don't see it as a worthwhile. They don't even see it as a worthwhile expense. Um, you know, uh, currently, for example, in the Ukrainian war, the United States has spent more money than Russia making warfare in Ukraine at this point. So it's it's like so we we do have priorities. You know, wow. p- countries have priorities in terms of what they spend money on.
2: Yep. That is that is said. Can I bring up one other point from there? Of course. Yeah. Did he say uglification?
1: Yes, he did. <laughs> uglification. <laughs> Uh, it is in alice you're, in wonderland i think lewis it, it was to lewis carroll so <laughs> you're
2: an english teacher is that a word in english uh, it
1: probably is i've uh, i've gone through alice in wonderland with a couple of my students and um i don't remember that specific word being used but i i it sounds <laughs> a lot like the words that are used in alice in wonderland so uglification, uglification. yeah uglification <laughs> he says the uglification of the world the ugliness of modern architecture <laughs> right? No, it's true because you can't you know if you're listen if you're in a a place and you see a, a a great piece of architecture, you say, "Wow, look at that, right what are you comparing it to all right like you're you're comparing That's it true you got to compare it to something. I mean you have to have you have to have some some sort of objective of ugly and, and of beauty
2: huh you know no, you don't no you don't you're just comparing it to I've never seen anything like this. Maybe that implies that you're comparing it to the, you know, millions of tract homes that you see. <laughs> but yeah, but it's just something you've never seen
1: before. It's unique. Go to you, the Grand Canyon.
2: Yeah, you're not comparing that to other holes in the ground.
1: Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of modern art and a lot of modern architecture that I've yet I've not seen before, and I still think it's ugly.
2: Yeah, you know me. It's it's, right. it's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, I let's, hear you. I hear you. <laughs> let's, see, let's see what the rest of the clip has for us. It's it. good
3: the destitute desert Arabs who had been taking care of goats and sheep vie with one another to build increasingly high buildings. Really? Yes.
0: That's one of his prophecies. Yeah, well there you are. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So he was right about that too. Yes, he was. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Yes. Hmm. Yes, but this is something my, my uh, good friend Mawa Sabuni, who is an architect in Homs, has written a, a, a beautiful book called The Battle for Home about this issue. I'm hoping you'll invite her here one yes. day. Yes, Challah. Uh, in which she uh, documents the extent to which this new way of building in concrete shanties uh, on the edge of of the city right. uh, and knocking down all the uh, old uh, intimate alleyways how that has actually contributed to the antagonism of for the communities towards each other and uh, and fueled the civil war and of course given people no sense of where they belong because they look around them and they see this this ugly set of broken teeth on the horizon you know that's mm. all that is a town right. and she' Writes very beautifully about the way in which the Christian and uh, and Muslim communities in that part of Syria built against each other, or I mean next to each other, with the, the same one one wall being a church on one side and a mosque on the other. Yes. You know, uh, th- this way of actually settling the settling the the, the land well, as well, um, a joint possession. You know. And the
2: clip ends there. All right. Yeah. So i uh- Go ahead. I'll let I'll let you go
1: ahead and uh, take lead on responding to that. <laughs> uh, I'm responding to that. Well, yeah. I just think in terms of of art, uh, I would um, I would take. Uh, there's a great quote by George Sand, uh, and it, he says, "Art for art's sake is an empty phrase. Art for the sake of truth, art for the sake of the good and the beautiful. That is the faith I am searching for." Uh, and so, uh, really, it is a uh, is, is there a litmus test for for art? Uh, and that's a good question. Uh, and I, I think that there is. And that is that art should ultimately should point to the truth. And art should point to and art points to God. And that means art points to God. Uh, and so art shows us the good uh, and the beautiful. Uh, it, it teaches us about beauty uh, it it ends up art art is a way for us to express what we know about God that that isn't come, doesn't come from revelation or come with our own words, uh, so it's a way where if you have someone that's painting something okay they they're painting they're painting something that's beautiful all right that God has made then the, it, that painting doesn't come from uh, a revealed truth. Like in the Bible, it doesn't come from... They're not speaking it into existence, but they're creating it they're putting it out into existence.
2: And weren't, weren't we
1: talking the other day about um, the
2: statues that were in Rome back in the day when they did athletics? Were, we, were, were you and I having that discussion? Ooh. This may have been something I researched on my own. Yeah, maybe not. <clears throat> I, I kind of was looking at that, but I don't think... So it, back in the day... Uh, during the Roman Empire, mm. um, you probably have seen some of these, th- the likeness of some of the statues, right? How nobody's wearing clothes right? in them. So athletic events were actually done in the nude back then. That's why you see like a discus thrower. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Okay. So the word uh, gymnasium, uh, we get that from, it's like gymnasium. Gim something I cannot remember the Greek word exactly for it I wish I could recall this right now interesting I you know it's it's all Greek to me um but uh it has to do with being naked and that's where we take the term gymnasium from is is a Greek word that sounds almost exactly like it um so their art back then was like that and that's like one of the uh one of the things that was hard for christians back then they're walking around this society um it, it was this was during paul's time this is i know when i came across this now it so was during a study about paul's time in rome okay um but he's he he when he wrote romans of course he wasn't in rome he he wanted to go see them but uh he understood that he was writing to a society that they had to see this every day imagine like you know, trying not to sin when you're walking around a place that's got statues everywhere. First off, the different gods, right, mm-hmm. than Jesus Christ, but it has statues th- of people that are that are nude. You got breasts, you got you know, male genitalia, and this is all on display, and this is a a, a worshipped and normal thing over there. You know, like I said, at athletics we're we're done in the buff, man. Yeah. Um. So it just made me think of that uh, when he said that the Arabs and the the Christians were um, competing like who could build the taller buildings and stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, he was talking Uh, about having like a church on one side and a mosque on the other. Yeah,
2: yeah, he he made two points. Um, Well, first off, I disagree that that's why they uh, bomb each other's mosques is because they're like, ah, yours is nicer than mine, you Sunni, and the Shia bombs the mosque. Right. Uh, They just hate each other. Uh, (laughs) Muslims and Christians, though, built, like, Uh, just have a wall between you know a church and a a mosque let's go back to what he said in the beginning how much are we willing to tolerate I'm not saying bomb their mosque but absolutely not am I going to have their daily prayer going off being heard in the middle of our service no we know that to be a fake religion we know you know how we know? Here, here's how we know. The prophet Muhammad, okay, his body is buried, and it's in one of them graves. If you can picture, like, one of them old-styled graves, you'd see in, like, an old western where it's got, like, the mound of dirt, right? Okay. 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 He's buried in a place where you can look through uh, millions of Muslims a year. They go to this place. You can look through this like submarine looking window, a little circle, and you can see his grave. And there's like two other Muslims that are buried in there. Like, I don't know. To me, there are no names. I couldn't remember who they were. Okay. But he said that through the power of Allah, his body could not decompose. So if we were able to, as Christians, go and find out for ourselves if if Jesus had said nope my body's going to be in that tomb right there in the garden tomb and it's not going to decompose all oh, right if we if we wanted to prove our religion all we'd have to do is roll back that stone right if he was still going to be there of course we know he's not there because after 3 days he rose right well we would just
1: but i'm saying we would just go and prove it so if we wanted to Proved. Well, it's interesting because the Romans didn't do that with Christ. I mean, the Romans wanted to put an end to things pretty quickly. They could have torn his body out of there and drug it through the streets.
2: Yeah, they could They could have. Yeah, but mean, it they, wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So, like, the thing is, though, if we wanted to, my point I'm trying to make, if we wanted to just disprove Islam altogether, and I think this hasn't happened because Satan won't allow it, why don't we just get in there and just, you know, <laughs> You know, blow the dust off and like maybe get a broom and sweep it away and see if we got a pile of bones there. If we got a pile of bones, guess what? You were wrong. I I don't know. Do you think people would buy that argument? It's he prophesized that his body could not decompose by the power of Allah. Our we think that every single word we we believe that every single word of our Bible mm. is right. Second Timothy three sixteen sure. is God breathed right. Scripture, mm. all of it, every word. So if he said that, and if he's wrong. Well, guess what? You're outside of your scripture, my friend. How can we rely on any of the rest of it? Because that's that's the guy who, you know, supposedly received your word from Allah. That's in the Quran. I I don't know why we just don't go blow that grave off and sweep it off. Let's find out. Well, why haven't we, Satan? That's my belief. That's my own personal belief. You know, I mean. Islam is the second largest religion in the world to Christianity, is it not? Right. Yeah. You know how many people that would I don't even know what that would do. That turned the world upside down. That would be huge. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I would
1: imagine it probably would.
2: Yeah. I, I believe his uh I, th- I believe his grave is in Saudi Arabia. I'm almost almost positive of that.
1: You mentioned uh, the Arab imposter syndrome, and it's interesting. I, I don't know much about. It, it's hard for me to speak to that, Steve, because I don't know much about the area. I'm not. I don't consider myself an expert at all. Oh, I'm not either. Uh, but um, <laughs> I was
2: stuck where the, the army put me.
1: Uh, <laughs> the um, and and I also too. Uh, I as as far as Arab uh, imposter syndrome, I won't speak to that either. But uh, the it is interesting. You see a very a similar. You see a very similar uh, pattern in Asian countries, uh, you know, with a bit of an imposter syndrome in terms of the West, uh, in terms of urbanization, uh, in terms of what they wear. Um, You know, it's funny. Chinese people will wear – they'll wear English like a tattoo. You know, like uh, if if you're in America and you want to get a cool tattoo, you just say – Hey, put some Chinese characters on my arm, you know? And, uh, you know, they just, anything that looks cool, you know? And it's something I can tell my friends, you know, it, it says assassin in Chinese or whatever, you know? I don't know how long you've spent in tattoo shops. I mean, you know, we're
2: on a podcast. You guys can't see us. I'm sleeved.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: I, you got, That's right. I, I don't you think got, you have a tattoo, got, right?
1: No. Do you have any, uh, what's that? Yeah. No, 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 not at all.
2: None. None. I, None. I, I wish I didn't. Not the coolest thing I've ever done. Is that right? I mean, I yeah.
0: got, you got to
1: have at least a cup like five different languages on you. So I no, places, I,
2: I, I don't. That's what why, why I was going to point this out. Oh no! In a tattoo shop, you walk in and ask for some sort of Chinese lettering. Yeah. Uh, no, not cool, man. That's like walking into like Guitar Center and like grabbing a guitar off the wall and playing like "Sweet Child of Mine" uh, or "Stairway to Heaven." Okay, I want to throw you out. Like, they'll accept you because you're a customer, but not willingly.
1: I was going to say, your money's no good? <sighs> turns Almost. off turns off your
2: money? Just about. Is that right? Yeah, just about. Wow. All right. Well, yeah, there you go. Were, were you kidding, though? People in China, they have tattoos that say
1: English? No, no, no. That's what they on their clothes. So the tradition, what it is, is, you know, if you ever see a picture in China, you'll see that young people always wear a baggy sweat sweatshirt. Yeah, and it's got some English word on it. Okay, like that's the equivalent. That's the equivalent of a tattoo, like of uh, of just having Chinese tattoo on your arm, because uh, they want to wear the English. They don't know what it. Is. They don't know what it says. Don't care. You know, it says Nike. It Doesn't matter. You know, it says pink on your pants or whatever. It doesn't matter. They just want to have English on there somewhere. Huh. It's a sign. It's a sign of being cosmopolitan, of being modern. Oh. Yeah. 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 And they, so
2: they do it in Iraq, but for a whole different reason. Because I know Chinese people have money for the for the most part. You have I know you have different classes well, but the you ones know, you're talking about have money.
1: Well, a lot of them do have money, but it, there's also there's this there's this push, there's this desire to be cosmopolitan and to be a part of that cosmopolitan world. So for example, like uh, uh, and this is big amongst Asian males as well. Is especially young Asian males because Asian females, you know, they, when they're in a, a Chinese city, uh, they'll always think of the Chinese city as being inauthentic. Like, they they think of the American city. It's like some inauthentic version of an American city. You know, like, it, it may be like L.A., but, you know, no one wants to live in Shanghai. They all want to live in L.A. Even though probably Shanghai's a better city. I don't know, because I haven't been to either one. I right? mean, besides the rules right now. Well, yeah, other than, you know, getting locked in your place and having to throw yourself out of a, you know, 30-story window, <laughs> and, and that would be, that's a negative but besides that (laughs) yeah yeah you know but but they do but you know a lot of these asian females right they want to marry foreign men because they want to be they they want to assimilate into a kind of a different world into that more of a cosmopolitan lifestyle Yeah, and so it gives young asian males like this kind of imposter syndrome where they feel like they feel inferior because they're they're unsure of what to do you know because they they feel like they're protectors of their own society but and yet they they need to try to lure in the women from their own society who are kind of looking for to assimilate into another society. So that's why you have a that's why you gotta have a good selfie, man. A good selfie. Well, maybe I don't know. Richard may he might not think that it's a good idea. So, <laughs> so Scruton probably doesn't think that's a good idea. He doesn't <laughs> like the selfie.
2: I'm just saying, yeah, maybe I'm, go on dating sites, try it out. Have a you know have a pitchfork in your hand and a serious face. See how far you get. Oh. <laughs>
1: You're <laughs> in there looking like somebody from Wrong Turn. It's not going to work out for you. Right, maybe. Man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting, though. He talks about the architecture, right? I mean, you know, if you ever take a look at a Chinese city, I mean, they're really, I mean, they're they're always a contrast. Like, they'll have, sections of them are just incredibly ugly because they all have the, the same skyscrapers that go on forever. Yeah. And But then every once in a while, they'll have one thing that's like, it stands out. You know, the, yeah. the, the, uh, whether it's uh, some sort of uh, architecture mm-hmm. that they um, they want. And it contrasts. It's such a contrast against everything else that it always stands out. Mm, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I think we've pretty much rung that 11-minute video out, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I appreciate you hanging out with Tom and Steve today in the Digital Blunderground. So we're throwing our thoughts out there against the wall and seeing if they stick. And uh, I think today was a pretty good effort. So uh, hopefully you thought so as well. And uh, don't forget to check us out on another podcast. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Digital Blunderground. Don't forget to check out Tom and Steve's flagship podcast, Notes from Blunderground, and their journey from ignorance to knowledge, the Blunderground Railroad. See you next time.